Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and BBC television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. So today's guest is someone who's probably a little bit different from the previous guests you've heard on this podcast. And... It's someone who I'm really excited to talk about because the reason I've called this podcast Feel Better, Live More is because I genuinely believe no matter who you are, no matter you know which field you work in, when we feel better in ourselves, I think we get more out of life. The gentleman I'm going to speak to today is a pop star. He's an actor. And over the last few years, he's become a self-confessed nutrition geek. It's Mr. Matt Willis. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really stoked to be here. Matt, I think before we get into the nuts and bolts of this conversation, um, I, always, I always like to share with the listener, um, you know, where our paths cross first. And, right. Um, I think for me, I, we met, I think... 2005, I think it probably was. It pro- yeah, it was 2005. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was taking a bit of time off. Um, mm. I was actually playing a lot of music in the French Alps yeah, o- yeah. over the winter period. And I remember we'd finished playing a gig and myself and the drummer were, were out just unwinding afterwards. Mm. And I suddenly got a tap on the shoulder, I think, from your your manager at the time. Um, yeah. Saying, hey, look, you know... Um, you know, we we saw you play before. Um, we just we're just wanting someone we can just go and sit down and chill out and and, and chat. Yeah. Um, and that was basically because you had just come out of Busted. Is that right? Busted had just just finished. Busted had just finished. Yeah, yeah. We just um we just kind of um we broke up in the I think in the January or it might have been the beginning of February. I'm not entirely sure. But then I went. I literally went to um went to Chamonix. Um, straight away just to clear my head just to get away from London and kind of chaos you know and um, uh, I, at the moment I needed taking out of London you know so um, but unfortunately they took me out of London and put me in a ski resort which was probably just as bad but, um, <laughs> but it was um, yes yeah, so I met I met you in the, in the bar it was really nice to, yeah, yeah your, we your got we got Rad. to know each other and yeah. you, you came and sang with us I think as well yeah, the I next did, night yeah, yeah. Um, and really we've we've got to know each other from there so mm. quite a chance meeting Um and you know, you know, we we got to know each other a little bit out there. Then you know, sort of stayed in touch after that. Mm. Um, you know, various amounts because obviously we all get busy in our own lives. And then I think we'd kind of lost touch a little bit. And then I remember when my my, my first series of uh, Doctor in the House came out. Yeah. I think you started tweeting me. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I think we we reengage at that point. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we've we've hung out quite a bit recently. And my, I think. You know, you, you. We talk about that time in two thousand five. You were at that time, and I think, from recollection, the biggest pop band in the country. Um, yeah, arguably, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of, um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a whirlwind. It was a massive kind of like, um, kind of life changing thing. You know, being embusted. It was, um, it, and and at a time, at a time, it was, it was amazing. But then, just as you met me. 
it had all ended. You know, just as fast as it had happened, it had all ended, you know, which is a very weird time for me. And how, and how did all that start for you? I mean, how did you become, you know, in one of the leading pop bands, certainly in the country? And I know Busted's reach spread, you know, much further than that. But, but how did that come about? Is that something you had planned as a kid? Uh, well, not not really, if I'm honest. Like, I kind of played guitar in my room and stuff and kind of always sung, you know. And um, But I wanted to be an actor. You know, that's, I went to acting school and I kind of always thought that was going to be my life if I was lucky enough to do that. You know, and in, in the meantime, I'd kind of met James Bourne from my band and we were writing kind of silly songs. And we thought, you know, we might play like local places in South End, you know, where like I, I then, then lived with him in South End. And we kind of, you know, and um, I mean, we always had the goal to be a band and kind of go on tour and stuff. But we yeah. never really thought it would ever really the childhood any, dream, right? Yeah, the childhood dream. But you, you you kind of like, to be honest, to play in front of a load of girls would have been wicked. That's all <laughs> that we really aimed for at that time, you know. So, um, And then um, we did a demo of our song and someone handed it to Simon Cowell, you know, of our demo of what I got to school for. And, um, and he wanted to sign the band. And as soon as he wanted to sign the band, literally everybody in the music industry wanted to sign the band oh, wow. and so from two like two kids who we, we got charlie involved a few weeks before that as well like he was so new to the band like right. me and james been doing it for a couple of years we got charlie involved and our demo got sent off and they saw the picture and it was no longer these two weird kids we also had this really dashing good looking front man so um and before we knew it we were signed and bias boo didn't actually sign to simon cow we signed to someone else but i think because he was interested everyone just picked up a buzz and we were kind of a bit of a buzzword and um and then it just went from there really wow so so from just writing songs in your bedroom with a buddy Mm. you then get a a record deal and then you release music which it clearly resonated with with the public um how did that affect you on a you know were you having fun i mean was it was it the best time of your life or do you look back now and reflect in a different way um do you know what? No, I look back at it and so as going, it was one of the most amazing times of my life. Like, I mean, I, and I can look back and go, there was trouble there, you know, and kind of go, and kind of point to certain moments in my life where people sat me down and said, you should calm down a bit, you know, and I can, I can pick certain moments out of my life when that happened and a lot happened during that period. But when I look back at it, I had such an amazing time. I mean, I was, I was 18, 19, you know, playing arenas, you know, like touring the world, you know, it was just like, and I had a bit of money. It was just like, everything was kind of insane. It was just amazing. Wow. So, you know, you're you're a pop star, you're touring the world um, and, you know, I'm sure probably enjoying life quite a lot, I I guess, on the roads, you know, as I think most 18 year olds probably would do, (laughs) if if I'm honest. and, and then it all ended. And how was that, you know, emotionally, you know, to, to deal with when, when buses suddenly finished? W- did that change things for you? Um, yeah, dramatically. I think, um, and at the time, I didn't really realise what effect that was having on me when I think about it. You know, like, um, when when busted ended i was quickly well just before it ended i was kind of told by everybody don't worry because you know you're going to go solo and it's going to be amazing and you're going to be this and we're going to sign your record deal and like i was like oh okay you know i didn't ever plan on being a solo artist i'm quite comfortable being the bass player but okay you know i guess i'll do that now you know and um 
And so that was kind of like, I, I think that was to kind of stop me kind of going, oh my God, my life is over, you know. But um, but then, you know, I didn't really ever want to be solo. I didn't ever really want to make an album of my own. I, I loved being in a band. Yeah. And it was, um, and slowly but surely it kind of, um, it kind of, uh, without that focus and without something which I loved all day, I kind of did turn to kind of, you know, but things got, I got carried away with a lot of different things. And, um, and, you know, alcohol played a massive part in my life for such a long time. You know, and um, and it really kind of brought me to my knees in the end. Do you think that you started drinking more after Busted finished, or when you know you guys were you know flavor of not the month, flavor of the year, flavor of the three years, and you know yeah, touring yeah. the worlds? Because um, I imagine that would um, lend itself to quite a bit of partying when you're on the roads. But how was it even harder when it, when it all ended? Was did you use alcohol to sort of? you know numb some of those feelings potentially i think so i think i mean i mean to be honest i was always a party boy i was always the one out of the band who was up the latest but i'd also be up first in the morning and i was quite good at kind of doing my job you know making sure that i was there you know but i was definitely the wild kind of crazy party guy you know um but to be honest towards the end of my drinking it became more a problem of necessity rather than rather than just to kind of numb feelings or to get out of my own head it was kind of um I became super, you know, addicted to alcohol, you know, and it was kind of a point where I couldn't go a period of time without drinking because I I felt like I was going to die at points, you know, it was just the shakes and the kind of anxiety that came upon me. It was like a physical withdrawal from alcohol every time I stopped drinking. So, And did that just sort of build up insidiously over time without even realising it? Yeah. I mean, there, there was times when I knew what I was doing. I knew that I was drinking earlier in the day you know that was the biggest one for me like i never thought i had a problem with alcohol because i don't drink in the morning you know like and like that's what alcoholics do and suddenly i was drinking in the morning you know it was kind of um so everything you know i i I hear this a lot in in kind of um in fellowships that i belong to now you know i kind of hear that um you know you you say i will never do this i'll never be that bad and then slowly but surely you do those things and you are that bad you know so it's um it's um it's a, it's a progressive illness, I think. So what happens from, you know, you being in that moment, in that dark place where you are, you know, over-relying on alcohol, as you, in your mm. words, an alcoholic, um, whereas now I see you as somebody who's very, very health conscious, who's very much into nutrition. Yeah. What happened? Uh, well, to be honest, I mean, th- this is the thing. Like, I think al- along the way, like, I haven't drunk alcohol for nine years now, but um, but along the way, I- I- I've kind of come to a conclusion that I have, you know, I-, I don't really have a problem with alcohol. I find that as-, as a symptom of my illness of addiction in a way. You know, I kind of find that I am I just have a certain thing within me that if you can become addicted to something, I'm most probably going to become addicted to it. You know, so um, I've picked up so many different things along the way like um you know and, and and kind of had to deal with them as they come you know but um but i think the best one i picked up on was kind of trying to look after myself you know and kind of i think it got to a point in like 2009 where i just looked a mess you know like i'd kind of been sober a little while and um and uh i was i was not drinking but i still looked awful and I was like, I still, you know, I, I stay up as late as I possibly can, you know, like just watching rubbish and I eat terribly. But um, and then I so I thought, right, I'm going to start 
looking after myself a little bit more. So I started going to the gym and going on the treadmill like everyone does, you know, and I kind of, and I did that and I'd have my LucasAid before I went in, you know, and I'd kind of come out and I'd, you know, I'd, 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 I don't know what I was doing at the time, but it was just, um, I was just eating terribly, you know, but I thought that was what was supposed to be, to be good, you know, and, um, and then um, someone at my um, gym gave me a copy of Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution. And um and I literally started reading it that night. Like he gave it to me. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll you know I'll read this. What's this about? You know. And I read that book, and it just resonated with me. And I was like, this just makes perfect sense. You know, obviously, you know, Pringles and Lucasade are not the best diet for me. You know, like um. So that that, that book literally, I became obsessed with that, and I became one of those really annoying paleo guys who uh, <laughs> who knew everything and told you everything you were doing wrong for quite a while. You know, told and, everyone who you came across, hey, you got to read this, you got to do this, exactly, you got to yeah. do this. You know, gluten is the enemy. Wow. You know, and I was, really, uh, I, was, I was really, I was really that guy. You know, for a long time. You know, but um, and slowly but surely, you know, like um, I've changed certain things and tweaked certain things and kind of. You know, and then I, I fall off the wagon a little bit every now and again, you know. But um, I think those principles, you know, of kind of just eating what humans should eat, just yeah. eat real food really is what is what the message is, you know, is eat food, yeah. you know. And, um, and that has kind of really stuck with me and really helped me. It's fascinating to hear you say that, Matt, because, you know, one of the, one of the most frustrating things that I come across as a medical doctor who's trying my best to you know, help create a shift in thinking in public health as you know, how we all look at ourselves, how medicine is practiced also in terms of really looking for the root cause of problems rather than suppressing symptoms with drugs, which is what I find we do a lot of the time yeah. these days. There's a lot of divisiveness on the internet over, you know, is it paleo? Is it low fat? Is it vegan? And you know, I was thinking about this recently, and, and actually, I was thinking about it a lot when, um, when writing my my first book. You really have to compress your thoughts to really. You kind of know it in your head, but you think actually, I need to get this down in a very coherent way so people can understand mm. it. And and I thought, you know what? I've got patients who have read paleo books, and it has changed their life. It's got rid of their yeah. joint pains. It's got rid of their weight problems. I've got patients also who've gone vegan mm. um, and, and they've transformed their health. And what the commonality is, though, when people do, you know, paleo and it transforms them or they do veganism and it transforms them, often what a lot of what they do is quite similar, which is get rid of the processed junk food. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. No, no matter where you start from, if you're having a lot of Western processed junk foods and you cut those things out, which you do on a paleo diet, mm. which you would probably do on a well-functioning uh, or, or a well-thought-out vegan diet, actually most people are going to feel better. Now, long-term, do people need to stick to that? Well, you, you've illustrated really well that you know you were really kind of regimental at the start with it, but you've kind of figured out what works for you now. Yeah, and I think it is so individual. You know, like um, th that's the thing. I think one size definitely does not always fit all. You know, and um, and like I've got friends who are vegans who do fantastically on it. You know, I've uh, um, you know, I've got friends who, you know, but but I've had periods of my time when I've eaten a lot more meat than I do now. Yeah. You know, but now I try to um, I try really hard to fit all my micronutrients in, which has made a massive difference to my life. Like in the last kind of month, I've been really focusing on kind of eating as many different varieties of vegetables as I can. You know, and it's kind of um, and my energy levels are through the roof. 
Like yeah. it's just a simple change. And it was like, um, because, you know, before I go through periods of life when I was like, right, okay, I eat the same thing all the time, yeah. you know, and I eat chicken and broccoli and all that kind of stuff that you're told that is going to get you yeah. in ripped or whatever, you know, and, um, and then you're so deficient in other things, you know, but by just eating kind of an array of different stuff, you don't notice, but you're getting everything in. You, you really to are. And, and I think these, you know, I spoke to Rob Wolf about this. I was mm. um, in, I think it was, was it November at the end of 2017. I was in California and I was at Chris Cress's book launch. Wow. And I was speaking there with, with Chris and, and with Rob. Um, I had a long chat with Rob. And, you know, what's interesting, you, you talk to Rob and, you know, he will also accept that there are many ways to do this and we need to personalize it for ourselves. Mm. And uh, Chris Crusher as well, he says, you know, it's a very good starting point for people to, you know, go paleo, let's say. Yeah. Um, But then people need to kind of figure out bit by bit what works for them. And what I'm getting from you, Matt, is that you are now more in tune with the choices that you're making in your lifestyle. You're a bit more in tune with the impact that's having on you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, humongously. Like I, I, I can notice changes like within a week of of adding something new into my diet, for instance. Like um like um like I'm I'm adding so many more vegetables now. We're kind of doing um I'm I'm working with a guy at the moment. I'm doing a film in September and um and I have to look a certain way for the right. film, right? So um so actually the the last couple of weeks, like I've been um I've been really focusing on my diet. You know, I kind of th- think I eat pretty well anyway. Yeah. You know, and um, and me and a guy called Paul Burgess are kind of doing this plan together, which is really nutrient dense. You know, it's like it's like you have to make, you know, you have to fit a certain amount of calories in, so, which is which is quite. By the way, I'm doing this for a role. Like I would, I could not possibly live like this. You know, really. But um, so but you're it's, basically um, trying to sort your physique out because you're going to be on screen. I'm going to be on screen, so I I want to look a certain way. You know, the director has told me I need to look a certain way by a certain date. So that's a certain like, pressure, isn't it? It is a certain pressure, and there's also the pressure to go right. Okay, let's let's do all this stuff, which is very unhealthy, to get you to this point, just to look good on camera, yeah. which is kind of what actors do. You know, unfortunately, you just hear, you know, you got to take this and you got to do this and you got to eat this, you know, and kind of relatively starve yourself towards the towards the shoot to. to but look that, that this. must be a huge pressure, actually. Um, it is a huge. It is a huge a, pressure. I guess a motivating factor in one way because it's presumably going to drive a lot of healthy behaviours, potentially. Mm. Um, although I, I get the impression you're pretty healthy as it is these days. Yeah, but I, I in fact find that it actually triggers my head to uh, for unhealthy behaviours. Like, um, like it kind of, um, it makes me think, right, okay, because um, anything you can take too far, right? And like, um, and I think, you know, unfortunately with, with, with jobs like that, there is a tendency to, to, to go the wrong way and kind of maybe not, focus on the right type of diet and kind of just crash it and kind of get there and peak for that one day of filming. And then, you know, the wheels are going to fall off of that eventually, you know? So I was like, how can I do this in the healthiest possible way? I've got a really long time. I haven't got to do it till, till September. I was like, how can I do this, look this way, but keep my body as, as healthy as possible? I, I wonder there, Matt, given your, your previous experiences with excess, mm. um, let's say with alcohol, is there anything you can learn from that that you can apply into this situation? So you're you're being pushed to look a certain way for a acting film role, yeah. And so you know, as many of us would, we'd want to look a certain way on camera. I yeah, mean, yeah. I think many of us can probably resonate with that. Mm. But you also know that there is a potential by doing that. 
it's going to trigger some of those potentially unhealthy addictive type behaviors yeah yeah completely do you have any how are you going to try and avoid that do you know yet or are you, are you trying uh, to figure no, it out no i'm still trying to figure it out because because i find that i trigger addictive behavior all the time like that's the biggest problem for me really in in my recovery process is 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 my behavior you know and i notice it all the time i have to really work on that you know so um i, I mean i i do have the tendency to go right let's work out for five hours a day and eat you know relatively small meal you know and all that kind of stuff which becomes a you know, the wheels would just fall off and it would just all go horribly wrong. So I'm like, right. So I had to employ somebody to get someone very good who I trusted, who I, who I, I know is in this kind of world. Um, how can I do this in the healthiest possible way? Well, that's great. So you're, mm. you're, you're, you're giving that, that plan up to somebody else. You're, you're paying someone else to actually almost make sure that's taken care of for you. Completely. And it takes it out of my own head. Because yeah. my own head will run wild with it and I'll start going on to, you know, maybe if I cut my calories to 1,100 calories a day, that might, you know, that's my head that will tell me that. You know, whereas someone else will just go, do this, follow the plan, it will work. And I go, okay, yes, thank you very much. Uh, I can resonate with that on so many levels. A lot of people listening probably don't know that about me, that I've, I have, you know, my, my good friends throughout school, throughout university will, will tell you that I've got a very addictive type personality. Right. Um, that you know, if I'm doing something, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. I can't just sort of dip in and out. I'm either doing it or I'm not. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and you know, whether that's partying in my twenties, whether that is, you know, oh, I'm going to get fit now. I remember I hadn't swum for about five, six years, and suddenly I thought, well, oh, I'm going to get really good at swimming. And you know, I went. I was working in pediatrics in Shrewsbury. Actually, I remember it really well, and I'd often, uh, I'd often stay there in the week, um, and. I thought, yeah, I'm going to get into swimming. So I found the local pool and I literally went every day for seven wow. days, like about half an hour, an hour. And by the end of the week, I couldn't lift my right shoulder anymore because I damaged my rotator cuffs because right. I hadn't swam in ages. And suddenly I just threw myself into it and then I couldn't do anything with my right arm for about three or four months. I couldn't oh play the God. sports I wanted to. And I thought, that's just typical me. You know, yeah, I've, man. I've just gone straight in rather yeah. than think... And, and, you know, you can... With hindsight, of course I was going to injure myself because... There was no build-up to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I won't go into it all now, but you can go into all aspects of my personality. And I've I've certainly, you know, I, th- I took up golf about eight years ago, um, you know, because I, long story, but I'd hurt my back and I had to give up playing squash and I was really missing competitive uh, sports. Right. And um, I became obsessed. My friends were like, well, why can't you just play now and again? I'm like, no, no, if I'm going to play, I'm going to be getting all the magazines, I'm going to be reading about it, <laughs> yeah. we're getting the lessons, I'm yeah, going to be yeah. working on my swing every evening in the in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I guess you might be able to resonate with uh, some I, of this. I, is literally, that is just me. Yeah. You know, with everything. You know, like I, I took up CrossFit and um and and I loved it, dude. Like it's competitive, it's um it's it's exercise, it's kind of a sport of the gym in a way. I was like, this is everything I need in my life. Yeah. You know, and I went every day for like fourteen days and was just a mess at the end of it. But you know, you know? what I've, what's interesting for me, over the last four years I've you know, I've I've had a certain element of media exposure mm. and I've probably had to sort of look deep inside Throughout that time, you know, whether it's things you don't like reading on social media, uh, whether it's a press article about you that isn't accurate and, you know, <laughs> is ripping off another article and, you know, people are then yeah. commenting on things that actually you never said in the first place. Yeah. And I've had to really process all that because, 
you know, I'm quite soft skinned, really. I'm, uh, I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm a doctor who's trying my best to help as many people as possible in as harmless a way as possible. Um, and I, I've kind of had to figure out a lot of stuff, like, you know, process my own stuff, basically. Mm. And I'm finding as I've done that, I'm more at peace with who I am. I'm more happy day to day. I feel I feel my life now, my job has got real meaning. It's got real purpose. Yeah. And I've kind of found since since I've really tapped into that, my addictive behaviors are or my tendencies are reducing quite dramatically and it's it's really been in the last I don't know maybe two years or so, I'm really oh, wow. starting to go, I'm not quite as, a, you know, I don't get quite, I'm, I'm quite happy to take, you know, be, it's not all gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but it's just not there as much. And, you know, I, I wonder, you know, can you, I don't know, I'm just sort of sharing that with you. Do, do you yeah, see yeah. anything in that? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I, I think this is, um, uh, this is the thing, because certain parts of me, I wouldn't change. Yeah. You know, this is the thing that like, people say to me, are you, are you, um, does it bum you out that you're an addict? You know, I'm like, no, I'm really, I'm really, I've learned to love that part of me in a weird way. Do you know I mean, I don't like what happens because of it sometimes, you know, but, um, but I, I, there's also some benefits that go with that. Like, I think I'm the way I am in my work because of this, you know, and I, and I get a lot of benefit out of that. And I am, you know, like there's certain parts of me, which I, which I like, and also I like the man I am today because of the work that I've done within recovery yeah. to feel this way. You know, I would never have known this about myself or been so necessarily comfortable about certain areas of my feelings if I had not have done the work, which happened from me walking into certain rooms and saying, hi, I'm Matt, I'm an addict. You know, so, um, uh, which takes a lot of courage, I think, for people to kind of say, I think that's a big, a big step for anyone with a with a with a problem with with drink or drugs to kind of come to that conclusion for themselves and how, how, how is it for you now saying that in front of me not in a in a in a room let's say with, with other people struggling with addiction yeah i presume back then it might have given you i'm guessing anxiety or palpitations just the thought yeah. of saying it yeah are you completely at ease with that statement now Oh, I'm completely at ease with that statement. Yeah, like, I mean, it took a long time for me to be completely at ease. And to be honest, it depends. It, it, for a while, it depended who I was talking to when that would come up. You know, like, it would be, um, like, if I ever went out, like, um, if, if I went to an event or something and someone would offer me a drink, I'd always say, no, I'm driving. Yeah. You know, because it was just an easy get out. You know, like, oh, you, um, you can just have one. No, I've, no, I'm fine, thanks, I'm driving. You know, it was just my way of not having to say, um, you know, because also it's a bit of a conversation killer. No, I'm a I'm a drug addict. You know, like a kind of a drink. It's a bit it's a bit much to take on. So I was like, how what can I what can I say here to get away from this? But now I just go, no, I don't drink. You know, and like people are going, oh, and I say no, it just don't doesn't suit me. So you're you're you become that much at ease with who you are that you're happy saying that now. Yeah, completely. And I think, I think, I think the more open we are about it, the less of an issue it would be for people. This is the thing. I think there's a certain stigma attached to, you know, like, you know, when you think of the word drug addict, you think of a of a criminal guy robbing people for their purses, you know, to buy heroin and blah 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 blah. You know, you that this image comes up when you think mm. of drug addict. When really, I sit in rooms around the country whenever i am and i sit in rooms with you know 
all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds who all have this one thing in common, you know, and it's the most amazing feeling sometimes to sit in a room because um, I remember going into, um, into, into, into these fellowships. Um, you're not supposed to say if you're a member or not. Um, it's, it's anonymous for a reason, but, um, but um, I remember going into these places and kind of, um, and, uh, and for all, throughout all my life, I felt like I had this, secret that I was potentially maybe crazy you know like I had this thing wrong with my head right that I thought differently to everybody else I was uncomfortable in my own skin I was I was um, uncomfortable in social situations I couldn't deal with just simple human interaction you know and then I found substances and alcohol which made that go away you know, and I could suddenly behave in a way that I could never behave before. And, um, and I felt comfortable in certain situations. It was amazing. And, um, and then, unfortunately, everything it, it gave me, it took away tenfold towards the end. But I went into this room and, um, and I heard people telling my secret. Like I heard all these people in this room and I was felt like going, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. They're going to lock you up. Don't talk about this. You know, like, but I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not. The, the, what I thought about myself is not true. I'm just an addict. Wow, this is quite a liberating experience. You know, like I suddenly have something which I can relate to other people about. And I can talk to people about, and they understand me, and I understand them. It's um, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's an incredible story, Matt. Um, you know, you should really check out this this guy called Dr. Gabor Mate. I was listening to a podcast with him the other day. He's a fascinating man. I, I, I the immense pleasure of seeing him speak in back in that california trip back in november and asking him some questions at the end and i really think he's onto something and he you know he says the way a society that we treat drug addicts Mm. is outrageous he says because these you know any addiction is actually i mean he puts it down to um some form of trauma in in childhoods and you know i guess some people will find that controversial but i think he's onto something actually in terms of that we're using addictions whether it's drugs whether it's alcohol whether it's sugar right because mm. a lot of people hey they've got emotional reasons why they're eating so much sugar yeah completely um, myself included in that absolutely yeah, i yeah. think many of us are which yeah, is yeah. why we ha- find behavioral change so hard yeah and he he really presents a very compelling story as to how all these addictions are the same they are we are looking for those substances to give us something that we're not potentially getting in another aspects of our life and yeah. i'm still kind of trying to process it all and figure it out in my head yeah something about that resonates with me which is why i feel that since i've really really grown into who i am now and what i'm trying to do uh both in my practice both as a dad mm. and trying to bring up two hopefully amazing kids i certainly like every parent i'm trying my best to do that yeah i kind of realized that when when i get that fulfillment uh and that real sense of purpose i'm finding more and more that my uh addictive tendencies are going down which is just quite interesting for me on on one level um yeah really interesting it is interesting i think um i heard someone you know and also this is the thing when 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 it's controversial to say that it comes from childhood trauma um um trauma means is different to everybody absolutely you know like you didn't have to be abused as a child to have childhood trauma you like anything can happen could have been your 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 mates at school um suddenly ditching you and 
going to a new group of friends and you suddenly felt insecure. Yeah, yeah. As many people have had it as I had at secondary school, mm. and I've recently figured out how that has driven a lot of my behaviours. But yeah. it's only by tackling that and actually becoming at ease with it mm. that actually it's changed my behaviours. And I was, I, it's just phenomenal when you start going back. It is, it is But phenomenal. you can't go back when you're... It's very hard to go back when you are relying on other substances to get you through. Completely, because you're self-medicating. You're, 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 um, you're, 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 you're numbing the problem. It's like, um, it's like I think it was Chris Cressa that said something that, um, that said, if you, um, if you have a, a, a rock in your shoe, you know, and you're walking around, it's causing you pain. You can take probably ibuprofen to numb that pain a little bit but really you should probably take your shoe off and take the rock out yeah do you mean like and have a little look what's actually causing the pain you know which is um which is fascinating you know i've i've heard people in rooms describe it as a hole there's just a hole in you that you try to fill up with different things and it's just an ever never-ending hole you know which um which i find i find i really related to as well you you mentioned this you know when, when we hear the term addict what comes into our heads, you know, this this image of a criminal. Mm. Um, and, and I was chatting to some uh, some some elderly uh, friends and patients of mine recently, and it's quite clear that actually they have been addicted to painkillers for a good yeah, twenty yeah. years, opiate painkillers, which mm. have been handed out so much. And you know, really, we're realizing now that they weren't doing much of a job in in terms of helping people's pain, or certainly as much as we thought they were. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a nation now. It's a huge problem in, in the U.S. Yeah, massive huge problem. problem but I, I, you know, we've got a big problem here as well. Really? Like how wow. many people are uh, addicted or dependent on things like cocodamol and codeine and tramadol? Yeah. But actually, it's seen in a different way because the doctors prescribed it. So you know, it's it's legal um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's uh, respectable addiction in some way. Mm. Because but it is an opiate, like is it? Yeah, it's but an the opiate. doctors yeah. prescribed it, yeah. so it's not seen in the same way as somebody who's, let's say, addicted to to a street drug. Yeah, yeah. it's but it's our perception, isn't it? As a society, mm. we're and and, and and you know this raises a a wider point, which is, you know, is the obesity epidemic, is this epidemic of chronic disease, just related to, um, you know, we're eating too much sugar, we're eating too much processed food. Yeah, that's a huge factor. But actually, is there something on a on a you know on a deeper level that people are dissatisfied with the way that they're living their lives? That you know, one in four people now in any year in the UK can have a mental health problem. Yeah, I'm thinking, well, that's you know, if that's a huge statistic, it's isn't huge, it? that's isn't it? A massive statistic, yeah. Yeah, and that's not just better diagnosis. That is. Yeah. There's something going on in society, and I just wonder how much of this is. Are we how how many of us are self medicating with food? I know if I've not yeah. slept or I'm traveling around, and I just you know what you, you don't crave fruit and veg, do you? You crave yeah, that, that to- quick hit. Totally. If I come home and I've had a stressful day, or I've had a I'm in a bit of a bad mood, and there's something there which I probably shouldn't eat. I'm not going to think as carefully about it as no. I probably should do. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, I, the the thing is that um, like when you think about about drugs like um cocaine and heroin and 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 marijuana i suppose and prescription drugs are available to anyone who wants them right it's just certain people find them do you know what I mean like and it's the same with food like it's um it's that if you walk if i go anywhere if i go into any shop i am faced with a barrage of the most unhealthy things you could possibly put in your body you know and um and you know, like, but some people choose to eat them all the time, and some people don't. So yeah. there's obviously, you know, like, um, and and 
you know, there's obviously something going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Matt, you and Busted got, well, not you and Busted, Busted got back together yeah. uh, recently and, and released an album and you went on tour. Yeah. Um, you know, going on tour is an environment where you're away from your house, you're away from the things that make it easier to control our behaviours when we're at home. Is that challenging when you're on the road to, to eat well? Let's say you, you like your nutrition, yeah. you like eating well, it makes you feel good. How hard is that when you're on the road? It's a lot harder. I'm not going to lie. It, is, it depends, to be honest, because in the UK, we... Um, I don't want to sound like a... Um, uh, I don't know how to come across it, but in the UK we get looked after really well. Yeah, you know we have a it. chef on tour. You know we have someone, and I can tell him what I want to eat, and they can cook me what I want. You know, and like um, you know, that we we get we get we get looked after really well. But um, but when we're in Europe or Japan or anywhere like this, we kind of have to rely on our own. Um, means to get food and it's hard you know traveling around is hard especially on promo tours as well because a lot of the time you're you're in a car a lot and um and you're just stopping at a garage you know and in that case it's almost it's almost impossible sometimes to find something i'm getting the insides of sandwiches out you know like <laughs> and things like that you know so it's um it becomes increasingly more difficult but but fortunately i have learned how to do that you know i have learned that it just takes thinking ahead you know it's like right i'm not gonna be able to eat well today so what can um tomorrow so what can i do today to to make tomorrow a little bit easier you know like obviously i'm not around a kitchen so i can't really prep food so i'm like right we can stop at you know um i can find make sure that when we stop at somewhere it's got like a a supermarket that i can buy some food that i can put together with is that then i mean i just wonder for people listening is that a strategy you adopt so you're going out because yeah, not many of the listeners, I'm sure, are going on, you know, tours and yeah, arenas. Course, yeah. uh, but we'll probably share similar uh, challenges, which is that they might be traveling for work or they might be in a very busy job there on public transport. They're, they're not in front of a kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So is one of your tips, you know, I guess preparation and all that. What are the, some of those things that you buy and like keep in your backpack or, or does, that, does such a thing exist? Um, yeah, I always have some raw nuts in my bag, yeah. you know, because I find that um, if I'm, uh, I don't have too many because I'm yeah. very bad at overeating that kind of thing, you know, so I try to have little, like I'm ridiculous, like in my bag right now, I've got little sealed containers of, of like um, nuts, I've got my lunch prepped, you know, have like you? Uh, that, I've, that I've got with me, I'm in the studio all day today, so, um, and you know, everyone will be getting Deliveroo and stuff, but I just, I've already got my, my lunch and my and dinner prepped in my bag. On that point... Because a lot of people go, oh, it's too much hassle to prep foods, and I get it. For some people, it's it takes a bit of a mind, you know, a mindset shift mm. to get to that point. But you know, five ten years ago, you weren't doing that. So no. why do you do it today? What ultimately, why do you prep your food? My my day is, I'd say, sixty percent more productive if I eat well. You know, which is um, which is which is massive. Like, I mean, I can get by and I can do a day if I just have to grab stuff. Like for instance, if I eat. I mean, I wouldn't, but if I ate a KFC for lunch, right, for instance, or an, another fast food chain, you know, like um, I, w- I would be okay. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't fall to pieces, but I wouldn't feel as good as I do, and I wouldn't be able to work as well as I work, and I wouldn't be able to give as as good input into the music making process as I'm going to make. You know, even if it's a margin of 
of five percent that's still not good enough for me you know so um so do um, you actually think not only does it make you feel good it help it helps you perform better um dramatically dramatically like um like if i eat what's what i've got with me i will stay at a steady kind of energy level i will i will think clearer you know mind mind fog for me is a big thing if i don't eat well my thoughts get cloudy which is really something which i've it's taken a long time for me to work out what foods do that to me. You know, like if I eat a certain thing, like um, my, my I, I can't think as straight. I can't get the words out properly. Yeah, I know that. I, I, yeah. I, I can absolutely sort of echo that feeling. And basically, you're saying when, you, when, as I said at the top, you know, when you feel better, you live more. You Com- get complete. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting to hear that because what what strikes me, Matt, is that you have. You know, behavior change is hard for people, mm. right? And often we, it takes us multiple goes to get there. And yeah. it, it's, it's a long journey, really, um, for most of us. And I don't think we're ever there, really, because we can always fall off the wagon. Always. Yeah, yeah completely. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm already planning a, a, a wagon fall off, which is something <laughs> which is really weird to say. But it's my wife's birthday next weekend. Right. And, um, and so we're, um, I'm taking it. She doesn't know, by the way. I know you're seeing her, so... it's a a secret but i'm taking her away um to to venice for the weekend so we're kind of going away and i'm like right so there's one restaurant which i'm gonna eat probably eat pasta in and i'm probably gonna have a dessert so right okay i'm like i've already got that in my head which is a very weird way to live but i've like um but the rest of the time i found places i can eat pretty well you know i'm just gonna have one meal where i eat what i want yeah no i think that's really reassuring for people that you know it's not that you're all in or you're all out you know you can um you, you can, you know, have an enjoyable life and eat well and feel good, and you can have things that you may not choose to have every day, but now and again. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, like, and I, um, but I, but I, I do know I will not feel good for for doing maybe. that. That's the thing. Like, uh, which is which is bizarre. But um, well, but, you know, when I, with, with a lot of the time with my patients, I, 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 I change their or I sort of make some food recommendations. I say, mm. look. Guys, you know, try this for three or four weeks and see how you go. And that's then come back and see me, and we'll we'll have a chat. And it's amazing how life changing it is for most people. I can imagine. But you know, let's say they come back after four weeks and the joint pain's gone, and the skin's better, and they've got more energy, and the brain fog's gone, which is not uncommon, mm. if I'm honest. Um, and then they go on with their life, and then you know, bit by bits, you know, bad habits can start to creep back in. Yeah. And they often they'll come back and see me and say, oh, you know, I was really naughty last week. I had this. And then, I, you know, my, my brain fog came back. And I said, guys, like, you know, let's think about the language here. You're not being naughty, okay? You, That's not, you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, I failed. I said, this is not failure. This yeah. is part of the journey. This is education, right? Mm. You've learned that when you eat well, you feel fantastic. And you've also learned that actually when the going gets tough and you actually make some different food choices, you don't feel so good. I said that I think that's a good thing because you, the only way people, I think, sustain this long term is when they feel the difference and mm. they can start put two and two together and go, oh, when I eat this, this happens. Completely, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think until people get to that point, you know, I, I, I say all the time, nobody is going to follow my advice long term if they don't feel different mm. you know you might do for two or three weeks four weeks maybe two months but the only way that's going to go from actually oh i'm going to do what the doctor told me to actually 
being self-empowered to go, right, this is the way I choose to live my life is when people feel differently. Completely. You know? Like I didn't realize that it wasn't normal to feel tired at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I didn't realize that wasn't normal. Like I always thought, oh, I just always get a little bit of a dip. I need to pick me up at about 3 p.m. You know, I don't need that anymore, which is, um, which is fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm in your book about, um, about denormalizing sugar, that's been such a big thing to my household. <laughs> like, um, like it's been, um, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a process. We're still kind of working on it, but it's, um, but it's, uh, it's, it, we did, um, we do a thing called Sugar Free January. I saw that on social media. How did that go? Yeah, it, it went, it went really well. Like, it went really well. I mean, we just, we just had no sugar for January. Like, and um, which is good because I think, um, like we talked about it briefly, but but towards, um, towards the end of the year. It's just insane the amount of sugar my kids are fed, you know, and through, not not through any fault of my own. Like, I mean, it's just like every day there's they're coming back with something in their school bag from a friend or there's a Christmas card that comes with some gold it? coins in it. Like, it's just like, oh, my God, you know, like it's just a, every day. And then Christmas comes and, you know, and you can indulge in Christmas. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, but it's um, but, you know, and then before you know it, it's Easter. You know, like it is, which is about to come on to us. So, again, so in so. January, so you're, you've got kids who are under 10. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I get it as adults. Some of us go on these kind of, you know, sugar-free weeks or sugar-free yeah, months. Yeah. Um, how did your kids take it? Um, not very well. They they didn't like it um, at the beginning, you know. They, um, but then but then I started making different things. Like I started to um, I started to make uh, like 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 mixed yogurt with some like um, with some jam that I got that didn't have any added sugar and stuff and so so they were having like a like I was finding ways to and also I baked some stuff which like was sugar free which they really enjoyed you know so I found like treats and they really look forward to these things like um like these little kind of like which is which I, I was worried about myself I was like am I defeating the object here yeah. by you know by giving them these these sugar-free treats because it's still a reward system which they yeah, should right. you know i was like maybe i'm defeating the whole object here but um i was just pleased to get through the month in the end but um but uh it's 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 really helped us i think because we now we we think twice about how much they're having you know and, and if they're going to go to a party we say you i don't want you to have anything today because on sunday you're going to be going to this yeah. party and it's out of my control so you're probably going to have cake i don't want you to be the weird kid you know like which is which is wrong as well like why should they Matt have Tom, to be this is something this that is, is such a it strikes it's such a the, it's a, such a core within me really? uh, i struggle with this you know as, as i think many parents do mm. these days is what is the i mean if we just rewind back a little bit you talked about 3 p.m yeah. And you didn't know it was not normal to have a slump there. Yeah. But actually, unfortunately, it is normal now. It's just not optimal. It is it is the norm in society yeah, to have that, but it's yeah. not our biological norm. Yeah. Um and and I guess the same thing is with kids' parties. And I, you know, I've got two kids under ten and it it drives me up the wall sometimes, and I, I just don't know what to do sometimes. I don't know whether I'm being uh, over the top parents and trying to protect them too much. Um because you know, I've gone through periods where I just, I just thought, God, I know what this does to your body. You know, yeah, why yeah. would I want to put that into you? Yeah, completely. And as they get older, they're, you know, you can't control their environment as mm. much as you can when they're smaller. Once they start going to school and parties, and then, yeah, I can. One, one of the big problems I find is that, you know, if you're trying to be a healthy parent in 2018, certainly in the UK, I think you, you you potentially risk sometimes making your kids a social outcast because yeah and i really struggle with that yeah so do i this is the problem like um like we've had 
I've had so many conversations about this with with people in my family, you know, about like, um, look, I know they're going to the party and I know they're going to be giving them McDonald's and I'm refusing for my kids to eat that food. So I've told them they're not allowed to. And they and, and they're like, you know, people are like, well, then they're going to have to say to the people, I don't eat that. And that's going to, I'm, I'm like, I'm fine with that. You know, like, which is, is hard to say. It's like, hard. You, you know, like, it's like, because I know what, and and also I feel like I'm enforcing something in them which is which in the long term will be good but in the short term may be detrimental it's hard you know, it's so hard to make the right choice isn't it you know what, what sorry cause go is, on because is one McDonald's gonna hurt them that dramatically you know I'm like well I do, first of all, I don't know yeah. is the answer. I don't know exactly what that is doing. I know that it's it's not doing very good stuff for them at that moment, you know. And and you know, and but they're not going to have it again for a while. Is what comes back at me all the time. It's not that they're going to have it all the time, but yeah. But still, that kind of and also that's like then you're enforcing something within them as yeah. But it's it's if if you do something good, you get something bad. So you're rewarding your children with bad things yeah which i think is a bad system to have you know it's it's a challenge there's Mm. there's no doubt and i i you know i try and promote the best behaviors of my kids as i can but i I worry sometimes when i'm going over the top with them and you know a lot of people will say you know kids are allowed treats but uh, you know i'm i don't dispute that Mm. What, what i what i struggle with is the fact that Treats and sugar have become the absolute norm. Mm. Um, you know, my view is personally, and I guess this is a little bit controversial, but I've been doing a lot of work with, um, you know, Jamie Oliver's team over the last few months. Yeah, uh, looking into schools and you know trying to trying to assess how we really make an impact here, and we all kind of agree that schools should be what we call healthy zones. Mm. So. I think schools, for me, should be the model, you know, educationally, academically, behaviorally, but also nutritionally. Because I, if I want to give my kids a treat, I don't want them to have had a load of treats at school, which then potentially impact what I can do with them. I, I would much prefer that, I think it's just, again, I've got to be careful not to put my view. Well, this is my view. My view is that actually schools in general should be healthy zones. If parents how they choose to bring up their kids, what they choose to give them. I think that should be up to parents. You know, mm. I, you know, a lot of people talk about nanny states and I get all that. So I think parents should absolutely have the autonomy to do what they choose to do with their children. Yeah. I just don't like how, you know, the, the way it is now in schools, you know, it's a, for, in many schools. And I look, I appreciate many schools are trying to change this and, and schools are under a lot of pressure. Mm. I, I do understand that. But I think we do have an issue where, you know, one in five children start primary school in this country overweight or obese. By the time Is they l- that one in five? Well, but but by the time they've left primary school, it's one in three. Oh, my God. So you've got to say on one level, something ain't working. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible challenge. Um, I mean, you said, what does this stuff do to you? I think what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when we have, let's say, a fast food meal, mm. you can measure, if you take your blood about an hour later or two hours later, you can measure levels of inflammation in your body have gone up just from one fast food meal. Now, look, many things we do cause inflammation, right? I'm not saying you know, long yeah, term yeah. necessarily that's that's an issue, but we know that you can actually, you can have a, a whole food, colorful meal full of really you know, good sort of um, 
lots of different colours and, you know, some broccoli, some, you know, whatever, just like a rainbow salad. And you yeah, yeah. you won't get that same rise in inflammation as you do, right. let's say, when you go to a fast food and have a burger and fries. And I don't think we realise that actually, literally, every time we have that, we're inflaming our body. Mm. Now, we've got to take a balanced perspective, you know, in, in, now and again. It's not the end of the world, I'm sure. Yeah. But what I worry is when they get a taste for this stuff is... You know, if they get a taste for this stuff, are they going to want it more? Because they know what it can taste like. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah. <laughs> that's a worry, isn't it? <laughs> it is a worry. Yeah, yeah. But, but and it's also, you... it's, it's that, sorry. You, no, no, go, Matt. It's also that thing. It's that reward system thing, you know, which is worrying to me, which is like, it's like, oh, you've done a good job, so you deserve something that is gonna, sweet sweet exactly yeah. which is like so it's it's just um it's just an ongoing thing isn't it, it we're, we're my ends. wife and i we're really trying our best to uh change the wording that we use um at home and we're not perfect we're certainly trying yeah. so a, 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 you know then doing something great we're trying to think of um other things to reward them with, like you know, oh, you know, you know that book you want. So let's go to let's get the shop and let's buy you that book now. Right, well, we look. We've only just started. We, we're just trying to alter the when rather than it be oh I've done this, give me something sweet now because yeah, that then exactly. becomes conditioned, doesn't it? It really, it really does, and I, I notice it so much. Did you notice a change in your children throughout January? You know when they, you, you, you know, you, you, we'd had. December madness, as it were, mm. with, yeah, yeah. with all the treats everywhere at Christmas. When you had cut out the sugar for the duration of January, I'm really interested both for yourself, but also as a father. Did you notice anything different with your children? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I noticed um, uh, a less manic like behavior sometimes. Like, I mean, it's not like my children are, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure every parent says, but my children are pretty well behaved, you know, like they're pretty great kids, you know, but sometimes there can be a mania that arises between them. That can be, you know, it's just like, um, you know, which is just um, an influx of, I think, sugar, you know, like, so so I didn't see any of that. But you know what I noticed the, um, I noticed the biggest effect on my littlest one. Like um, if, 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 if my little one is like 20 months old, and um and if someone gives her sugar, it's a dramatic, dramatic effect, you know. And like um and like it can be said, oh, it's only one biscuit. And I was look look at the size of her, right? <laughs> if I was to eat a biscuit in comparative size to her body to a biscuit, I'd be looking at like like a bin lid biscuit. Do you know what I mean? Like, That's a good point. Like, I've not thought about that. It's like so that. huge, the amount of sugar she's putting in her body for how tiny her body is. Yeah. You know, but it's just normal to just give her a biscuit, you know, like, and you give her a bit. That's such a massive amount of sugar for her size. That, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah I don't, that, you're right, actually. I've never thought about it like that. And the, mm. the, you know, proportion yeah, yeah. in relation to our weight and our size. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, an, it'd, be, it'd be like eating a bin lid sized biscuit. It'd be humongous. What difference did you notice in yourself um, from sugar-free January? Yeah, uh, what's past? I, um, I I have a really bad relationship with sugar. Like um, it's all ties into addiction. You know, like um, if I have it, I behave differently. Mm. You know, I find myself craving it and doing things that I did when I had alcohol and drugs in my life. But I do it with sugar. Like I'll find myself in the biscuit tin yeah. at nine thirty p.m. You know, like and I'll be eating them in on my own. You know, so no one sees me. Do you know what I mean like like this is behaviour which I do not want in my life, and um and uh, and it's ridiculous and I hate it. So um I'm try I try now to not really have any, 
you know. But um, occasionally I will, like like I said, it's my wife's birthday, so I'm going to have yeah. a piece of cake or a dessert, you know. But um, I'm not going to then go to the shop and buy every chocolate bar and take it back to my hotel room and gorge myself, yeah. which is which is the tendency I have to do. And I um, I find myself like if I get in that rut, like a couple of years ago, I was in a I was in a bit of a sugar hole for a while, and I found myself just eating it all the time. And I know. Like I'm, I'm, I know what it's doing, and I know how I'm behaving. But sometimes it just gets into your behaviour. Well, well, this is it. When people say, "Oh, people, everyone knows what to do," they're just not doing it in terms of health. I don't buy it because, mm. you know, I think all of us want to be as healthy as we can. I genuinely believe that, and I think if we're not making decent choices, it's often because of underlying issues that yeah, we're sort yeah. of. Um, and I think, you know, I think just putting it all on the individual. Is is I don't think it's that fair, really. I don't think it's fair. I think it's a real, it's a real, um, it's so much bigger than that, you know, because everyone does know, you know, that everyone you maybe does know. Should, you should, the, maybe the reason, should eat that. You mentioned that the the sugar chapter in my book, and the mm. reason I I called it denormalized sugar. Yeah, I thought long and hard about this. I went through a few different titles, and I thought actually, you know what? I don't want to demonize it. Yeah, I'd say you can never have sugar again. A in the modern world, that is frankly going to be impossible. Yeah, you, you just you <laughs> yeah. know, you're setting yourself up for failure right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I kind of thought, look, we've always craved sugar. Now, not necessarily all this refined sugar, but mm. we've always had it. Even things like honey, hunter gatherers have had honey for you know thousands of years. Yeah, it's a right? quick energy source. Yeah, yeah. But what's changed is that it's their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snack time for all of for many of us seven days a week now. Mm. So it's not necessarily that sugar in isolation is this thing we should never have. I, and that's where the name came, denormalize it. So, you know, if you want a sticky bun, right? Yeah. Now and again, when you're out with your mates in a coffee shop, okay, have it. But don't kid yourself that day in, day out, that, you know, your cereal, your sandwich, your pasta with your ready-made sauce, don't don't kid yourself that you're not having sugar yeah, already. Yeah, all day, every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the whole point of that chapter is to reset your relationship with sugar, mm. right? reset your taste buds, because a lot of people also don't recognise that if you're used to having a lot of sugar, you crave that sweetness. So, you know, I used to have uh, sugar in my tea mm. years ago. And the first time I cut it out... I could barely stand, yeah, yeah, stand it. But a few weeks later, I end up picking up someone's tea at work, the wrong one, with sugar in it, and I, I had to spit it out. Yeah, yeah because yeah. your taste buds can change that quickly. You know, some yeah. say within two or three weeks. Wow. So you know, once you've, and I'm sure with your kids, they probably in January reset their relationship and their taste buds a little bit. So you're probably wanting a little bit less. Um, yeah. But one of the final questions I was going to ask you is, um, you were in the gym you were recognising that you weren't looking physically as good as you wanted to look um, despite having cut out the booze and someone gave you Rob Wolf's book. Yeah. Do you think if someone gave you Rob's book when you were 19 years old and you were on tour with Busted, it would have had the same impact? Um, I wouldn't have read it then, I don't think. I I really wouldn't have. I think I was ready for... um, I was ready to read it at that point in my life, you know, like yeah. I needed it, you know, like, um, that's a big thing, isn't it? Like, um, I think, um, I think if someone had given it to me, I like to say in the madness, you know, like people sat me down and in, in so many kind of authoritative figures sat me down throughout my life and said, Matt, you need to watch what you're doing. And I didn't listen 
but then I needed to listen and some and suddenly stuff sunk in so I put it the same way with food like um you know like I think it, I hit a point where I was just you know unhappy and I couldn't you know, and then someone gave me this book, and it all made sense. Yeah, you know, it's the right time, right? The so, right and, time. And this goes back to what you're saying when you when you when you discovered the power of food, you're telling everyone, mm. like I did. Yeah, yeah. And actually, become irritating, and actually, people don't want to hear it. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, and I, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, and I have so many patients or, or friends who say, "Oh, you know, Dr. Chachi, I, I love what you're doing. I love your book." But my partner, my husband, I can't get him on board. You know, mm. I keep trying, and I said, "You know what the problem is." problem is that you're trying to change them and you know it just it rarely works it, yeah. you know people have got to be ready for it completely they've got to so be open true. to it yeah yeah that's so um, true and yeah and hopefully eventually they will you know but they'll come to that conclusion themselves i think yeah and i say, I say to people just try and be the example you know don't um you know, don't get all evangelical about it. Don't mm. sort of overly preach about it. Just get on with your stuff. That's what I do when I'm out for dinner. I just choose my healthy food. If people don't want to have it, I don't comment. I genuinely don't judge. One of the things I've tried really hard over the last few years is really as much as possible. You know, I just try not to judge people. I'm very mm. open. You know, everyone's making the choices they want to make. Yeah. And I've got control over my choices. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I try and control my children's choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> yeah. but but everyone else, I'm like, hey guys, you know, yeah, man, to you live know. your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, look, um, you've been a very, very insightful guest for me to interview, and it's a very different guest for listeners of this podcast so far. Mm. What I've, you know, I think people are really going to enjoy uh, the conversation. I think they'll have learned a lot from your insights. What I've done with health experts is I often leave uh, them giving some sort of tips to the listeners, you know, in terms of what they think the best things are uh, to help improve their health. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a fair question for you necessarily. I'm I'm just sort of thinking in everything that you've learnt on your journey, in your work, in your health journey as a father, um, are there any things you can leave the listener with you know I, I was trying to leave them something that they can think about as they turn off the podcast do you know what i just think um uh, do you know, I, I have i have i have no idea i think um one of the biggest impacts is i um i do a thing um called the five minute journal right which um i do every morning and every evening and it's made such a big impact on my life just it's like a little it sounds a bit hippie but it's like a gratitude list right and i do it every morning and every evening and I love it. You know, it sets me up for the day. Like I write a little, it takes two minutes in the morning. And this is not even like nutrition related. This is about what I'm kind of grateful for in my life at that moment. And I thought this was rubbish when people told me about this kind of stuff. I thought it was complete, you know, nonsense, you know. And um, and I can't tell you how much of an impact it's had on my life. Like I look forward to doing it. And at the end of the day, I write down some things, some amazing things that happened in my day. And I go to bed and I sleep better. I kind of, um, I wake up in a, and, and, and literally this thing can change my mood. If I wake up, sometimes I think we wake up in a certain mindset. I don't know why, but um, this little thing, I can do two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening, and it changes my mood and changes the trajectory of my day. Matt, that is so incredibly helpful, and you know, I, I was, I was. <laughs> that's such a small thing. I've seen some of the science on gratitude and, and really? journaling. Uh, I know uh, Tim Ferriss talks about journaling a mm. lot. Um, 
I've I've experienced the benefits myself. Yeah. Um, but you do it as a regular practice. What two minutes in the morning, two minutes at night? It's, it's called the five minute journal. It never takes me more than two minutes in the morning. Two if you've got, minutes if you've got a book that you do it in, I've got an app on my phone. Right. It literally, I wake up in the morning, I do it on my phone, like um, like uh, and and I, and I do it in um before like in the evening. I don't. I try not to have my phone on in the bedroom, so I do it like bef- before I'll go to bed in the evening. And um and uh and that's um and it's it just I love it and plus I attach a photo to it that I've taken throughout the day, you know, so then I can look back on it sometimes and go, oh wow, this was happening. It's a really nice thing, Matt. That's an incredible uh, bit of insight to leave the listeners with. Thank you for that, yeah. Matt. I can't say how much I've enjoyed the chat. I wish you all the best on your health journey. Thanks, I man. wish you all the best with um, you know, getting in the studio and recording. Thanks, but man. also in. I hope very much you can get in shape for this film without it sort of bringing up sort of yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. unhealthy Too addictive behaviours. So we'll stay in touch, let me know, and I will. maybe we'll get you back on in a few months and see how you got on. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Rangan. Thank you. That concludes the latest conversation on my Feel Better, Live More podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please do take a screenshot of this page on your phone right now and post it on social media. Please do tag me on Instagram, Instagram stories, Facebook and Twitter. And please do use the hashtag feel better, live more. I want this podcast to help transform the health of as many people as possible. So if you could also leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, that also helps me spread this message further. I'm always open to more suggestions. So again, please let me know on social media if you've got any more suggestions on people you would like to see me interview on this podcast. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me next time.